All right, well, welcome to our Facebook Live, folks, on this New Year's Day, 2023. I'm so glad that you are listening. I'm so glad that you are all here. I've been looking forward to this sermon since just before Thanksgiving, as I was reading through devotionally following the Bible reading calendar. You're not going to hear much about that this morning. Uh, I came to Psalm 119 and I read the first 16 verses and said, whoa, there's my New Year's Day sermon. And so let's talk about the psalm for just a minute. But first I want to ask you a question because this is what this psalm is all about. Is there anybody in here who wants to be happy? Raise your hand if you'd like to be happy. Every, we were wired, we were created to be happy. And I've, I've got an ongoing challenge to anybody. If you want to sit down with me and prove that I'm wrong, um, nobody ever takes me up on this because I know that you know how soundly defeated you will be and how quickly. But everything we do, we do to be happy. Every decision that we make. Yeah, but every, Ebenezer Scrooge wasn't happy. He thought he was happy. Ebenezer Scrooge decided to be a miser with his finances. He decided that the, better, the best way to go about things was to reduce excess population. That He thought that was going to make him happy. Everything we do is to that end. And so the question becomes not, well, there's a difference between happiness and joy and that whole discussion. That I don't buy that personally. It's not just a... That's just a semantic thing. The real issue is this. What determines your happiness? What do you depend upon to be happy? If you win the lottery today, would you be happy? Yes, you would be. If everything goes your way and everybody does it the way you want to do it and everybody measures up to your standard and and everything's going perfect in your life, will you be happy? Yes. Yeah. But for how long? Until all of a sudden it doesn't go your way. If you're depending upon that for your sense of well-being and order in my life and peace and, and what human beings experience when they're experiencing happiness, if what you're dependent upon is the wrong thing, well then, so I will grant you this. Um, we're talking about the desired experience of every human being. I will grant you this. Okay, then let's, I'll, I'll let you say True happiness. Truly happy. Ebenezer Scrooge wasn't truly happy until after his dream. Now, if we, if it's a game that you're going to play, if it's a car or you get a new grill for Christmas or whatever, if you read the instruction manual and you do it according to the way the thing was created and the way the thing is supposed to function and you understand that you put it together properly and you operate it properly, Everybody's happy. And what we're going to see today is that obviously God has given us an instruction manual in his word. And Psalm 119 is a wonderful place for us to begin this year. Now, let me just a little background on Psalm 119. It sounds like David. I just, when I'm reading it, I'm thinking David is writing it, but he's not. It's actually after the exile period. So it's probably 500 years after David, 500 years before Jesus that this psalm was penned. It is an alphabetic acrostic, which means, if you look at it, if you're looking at it in your Bibles right now, the first section, there are 22 stanzas. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. 
22 stanzas, all of eight verses each, and they are the, it goes letter by letter through the Hebrew alphabet. So it's like if we were to do an acrostic, we could go through all the letters of the alphabet, A, and then eight verses, B, and Alpha, and Beth, uh, Aleph, and Beth uh, fit with our, uh, what? What's the word I just lost? Alphabet. But then after that, it goes, it goes different. But this is the Hebrew alphabet. And so in each one of those verses, there's also a word that we'll come to in just a moment. Um, there are a variety of synonyms that are used there about how we can be happy. And that is what we're after. So let's look at verse 1. And now, now we're turning to number 2. We have the... Desired experience for everybody, true happiness. How do we get that? And now we're looking at the declared expedience. God has given us the expedient way to do that, the way that is useful for effecting a desired result. Everybody wants to be happy. This is the expedient way to do that. This is the way it happens. And God has declared it to us with clarity. Okay? So, I'm interested in this. How am I going to be happy? Let's look at verse 1. How blessed or happy, that, that's a, the best translation of this word is happy. How happy or how blessed are those whose way is blameless. And so the way to be happy is walking according to the right way, letter B, or letter A. Walk in the right way. Now the way is a path, and in this case it's the path set forth by God. Continue on the second half of verse 1. Who walk in the walk is to live, or just the way your life progresses, what you do. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Okay, so... What this psalm is about as a pathway to happiness is all about God's word. In every verse of the entire psalm, you find some reference to God's word. Now let me give you a simple functional definition, first of all, of God's word, because there are a lot of synonyms we're going to consider in a moment. And here's the definition. This is my simple definition. The revelation, revealing, the revelation of God's instructions to his people about who he is so we can relate to him rightly about how we must live because he's not only the owner he is the creator he's the one who invented us and made us in his own image he knows exactly how we must relate to him to be happy now I did a fun thing I I put the passage, I taped it on my sheet here, and then I drew lines from all of the words to these nine synonyms that are used for God's word. And we're not going to take the time to look at the different nuances of these words. They're essentially, they're synonyms. It's God's revelation of, of basically himself and his instructions to his people. But here are the synonyms that show up in these 16 verses and throughout the entire psalm. So we have the law, and then I've got a number after it shows how many times it shows up in this short passage. But all of these words are used between 20 and 25 times throughout the entire psalm, so they just show up repeatedly. Okay, 
So it's the law, testimony, God's ways, his precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, word, and ordinances. And you're going to see them as we proceed through. So how blessed, verse 1 again, how blessed, how happy are those whose way is blameless. What that means is that your way is, has integrity. Integrity means oneness. It means, and every one of you is going to feel convicted here, and you should, because our ways are often not blameless. They're not, they don't have integrity. What we say, what we believe in, da, da, da. Yeah, why don't you act like it then? When push comes to shove, when temptation sets in, why don't you do it? So, and when you don't, when I don't, you may think you're happy and you're not. And so the way to be happy is to discover the path and then cultivate your walking down that path so that your way is with integrity. Um, the RSV translates that word perfect. And perfect means wholeness. It all fits together. It doesn't mean you never make a mistake and you never stumble. It doesn't. It means when you do, then you deal with it properly. That's still a person of integrity. You can still sin. You can st- I'm not saying you should, but you do. And when you do and when you do mess up, you know how to deal with it. You know where to go with that. And when you deal with that rightly, even as a parent or um, any relationship that you have, when you blow it, yeah, they're, they're going to lose trust in you. They're going to lose respect for you. That's okay because you blew it. Those are the consequences. But now, how do I deal? My way can still have integrity. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as long as I deal with it, then rightly, I can still be a man of integrity. That is the way to do it. And that is the way to be happy. Let's continue on. Who walk in the law of the Lord. So clearly we have these boundaries that he has given us. Very clear boundaries to stay in the middle of the middle of the road. Verse 2. How happy are those who observe his testimonies. Now note here, I'm just going to list off quickly the verbs that are used here. Our response. What are we supposed to do now? And the verbs are observe, seek, do, keep, look upon, learn, treasure, regard, delight in, rejoice in, do not forget. All of those things you're going to see emerge in these verses. And right here I just want to read to you quickly from Matthew chapter, get my glasses here, Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 through 31. I'll just read it to you. Jesus was confronting the Pharisees and he said, What do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first son and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I will, sir. And then he did not go. And he came to the second and he said the same thing. But he answered and said, No, I will not. Yet afterwards he regretted it and he went. Which of the two did the will of his father? And the Pharisees had to admit, uh, the latter. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, because you don't. You know the law, you know the Bible, you've memorized a whole bunch of it. You know the right thing to do. You think you're, you, you've got your little system of behavior and, and you're on the right path. 
But listen to what Jesus said. He said, truly I say to you that the tax gatherers and harlots will get into the kingdom of God before you. Because they didn't do it. Let's continue on. Verse 2, this is significant. Second half of verse 2. Who seek what? Who seek the Bible? Who seek the word? Who seek what? Who seek him? That's what this is about. This is an expression not of a person's love for the Bible. Sometimes we Christians get accused of worshiping a book or because we can be so... Uh, Secure, finding our security in our doctrine, in the Apostles' Creed, in that we have the right system of belief, and this is, this is God's group. And we can miss the whole point. So we have to be careful of that. Who seek Him. This is about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you love God, if you really do, then you're going to listen to what He says. And you're going to realize who he really is and that he has the, the ability and the power and the, the uh, right to tell us how we ought to live because he made us and we belong to him. So who seek him. I just want you to note that every time you're reading the Bible, you're trying to learn what God is telling you about him. It's a relationship with him that is being cultivated because he's revealing himself. Who seek him with all of their heart. So we're not seeking God's word for his own, for its own sake. We're seeking it for him. Okay. Verse 3. They also do no unrighteousness. The happy person does no, that doesn't mean that we don't occasionally do something unrighteous. We do and then we're miserable and we should be. They walk in his ways. This is good. Verse 4. Emphatic. You, watch this. You, O Lord, have ordained your precepts that, for what reason? That. God has an expectation for us. He has ordained his precepts for a reason. What is the reason? Right here. That we should keep them diligently. The way we treat God's Law oftentimes is that it's a good suggestion. I mean, it, it's an option for me. I think that's a pretty good option here moving into 2023. I, you know, I kind of think my life would be better. I'd be happier. I'd be obeying God more fully if I just did this. I'm going to give that some thought. I'm going to consider it this time. It's a, it's a good suggestion. You know, God's just given us some friendly advice. No, it says, Lord, you, emphatic, have ordained your precepts so that we might keep them diligent. We're supposed to create new habits as he shows us how and teaches us new things that will become ingrained in me. Verse 5, oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. So that then, verse 6, I will not be ashamed. You see, disobedience to God brings shame. Shame before him. Shame before other people. Wait, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a pastor. I thought you bear the name of Christ. What? That's inconsistent with what I'm seeing. 
I won't have to be ashamed. The only way to avoid being ashamed of yourself is to do things God's way. And then you're, you're above that. And I won't be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. So when you're reading your Bible in the morning, you, you should feel shame and conviction when you realize, uh, yeah, I really blew that one yesterday. I shall give thanks to you, verse 7, now with upright, I can stand up straight, uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. When I hear them, I just say, that is so good, Lord. That's, that's why I feel so rotten when I don't act like this, and that's why it feels so good when I do. When I learn of your judgments, verse 8, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. This is so good. Because it feels sometimes like he has forsaken us, doesn't it? Don't forsake me utterly, Lord. You know, this world is going crazy, and we talk about that a lot, and the stuff that's going on, and it's in the church, and it's like, where is God? How, how do you tolerate this? Why don't you answer our prayers? Why don't you stop this sinful nonsense? Why don't you do Well, he, what he's saying is, Lord, I know that you're forsaking me. I'm going through some health issues right now. Or I'm going through this super painful loss in my life. And it feels awful lot like you've forsaken me. Jesus on the cross quoted the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it sure felt like he did. But what he's saying is, but I know you won't for, and he's praying for, don't forsake me utterly. Be the good shepherd of Psalm 23. Walk with me through this valley of the shadow of death so that I might not fear any evil. You will, your rod and your staff will come for me. You will protect me as I'm going through this trial. Realize that the trials that you're facing and what we're going to face in the year to come, which we will every day, realize that they are God stepping back, let, letting this thing happen in your life to test your faith, to produce endurance and draw you to himself and purge out all of the garbage that you're trusting in, thinking that's going to make you happy. That's what it's all about. Isn't that beautiful when he says, don't forsake me utterly. And then we move into the letter B, Beth. And it says, now these are verses you probably have memorized because you've heard them so often. How can a young man keep his way pure? Okay, so he's talking to a young disciple. But this is for everybody. How can a human being literally cleanse their way? You know, if you look at your way in 2022, would you say that you've been walking along this way and does it have some weeds in it? Does it have some garbage in it? Did you go on any rabbit trails that weren't very good? This is, so the question here is, how can I cleanse that? Purify my way for 2023. How can I do that? Well, he says, by keeping it, your way, according to God's word. With all my heart I have sought you, Lord, there it is again, do not let me wander from your commandments. I'll come back to verse 9 in a moment. 
But what he's doing here is like Jesus taught us to pray. Did you hear that when we were praying? Lead me not into temptation. He says that here, verse, the end of verse 10. Do not let me wander from your commandments. What is that suggesting? Can you do it on your own? We can't. That's okay to admit that. we. It's good to admit our need for God to spiritually restrain us and to protect us as we go and maybe even control our circumstances in such a way that we're not led too far into temptation to a place where we can't obey him anymore. It's too much for us. Remember, you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. He'll always give you a way out. He'll always give you a way to stand up under. This is just a prayer, and as Jesus taught us, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. We need God's help, and that is a great prayer for us to be praying going into this new year. Lord, in this new year, I know there's going to be trials, and I know it's going to be hard at times, but don't forsake me utterly, and Make it as easy as you can possibly make it and still accomplish your faith-testing work in my life. That's a good prayer for mercy, isn't it? And then it comes back to the part we know, verse 11. I, Your word, usually we, we throw out verse 10 and we just go from 9 right to 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Thy word, verse 11. I have treasured up in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Because that's what Satan does. You, we have to hide his word in our heart. We have to be in his word regularly. We have to be teaching it. We have to be doing it in the morning or whenever you do it in a meaningful way. And that's what's so hard, isn't it, about doing it just before bed? I don't know about you, but that gives me about one paragraph. That's, that's about five minutes max. I have to do it in the morning. And even on my days off or on vacation or whatever, it's, if I don't get up and do it right away in the morning, it usually doesn't happen. It's hard, isn't it? Once the day gets going and you get into your routine, it's just really hard to switch gears. So let's say that you're in, you're in it in the morning. And I graciously say, it'll only take you 20 minutes or so. That's not completely true. If you want it to be really effective in your life, right? Half hour minimum. So start planning for it. It's uh, two hours is way better because then you have lots and lots of time to think about and mull it over and we'll come back to that. But you hide it in your heart. Why? That I might not sin against you because it's that's, that's where the temptation will take place, Right? I know I shouldn't say that. I know I shouldn't give them that look. I know I shouldn't think that. But, and we've talked about this, but that's when Satan is, yeah, but uh, did he really say? Did he really say that you doing that right now is really, are you sure that's a sin? Well, now that I think about it, you know, they kind of, deserve it they're they are acting like this or that and that you know then if i do that i'm afraid that they won't get the message and so therefore and all of a sudden we're all confused and rationalized it to the point where we sin against him because so we have to hide it in our heart and then learn by obedience to make it a new pattern of behavior but that's the only way to be happy 
Do not let me wander from your commandments. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Continue on, verse 12. Just a couple more verses. Blessed are you, O Lord. Let me share a verse with you first. Break it up a little bit. Look up above. Proverbs 29, 18. I had to go visit the abused verse shelter and, and bring this one out so that you could look at it this morning. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. That's used in church growth uh, stuff all the time. As a pastor's got to have a vision for this. That's not at all what this verse is talking about. Where there, it literally, it is where there is no revelation, where there's no word from God with all those any one of those synonyms, where that isn't there, the people are unrestrained. That's what's happening in the world today. That's what's happening in some churches today. There's no revelation. They don't have a high view of Scripture. They don't believe that the Word is, says what it says. And they just, or they're unrestrained. Oh, well then, the world is saying this, and that has changed, so now that is the truth, and therefore, we're in the church, and we want to love everybody, and so, and it all gets watered down. There's no restrictions. There's no boundaries that, that God has set up. The people are unrestrained. And how do I know that that's the right interpretation? The next, the second half. But happy is he who does not let himself be unrestrained and not pay attention to God's revelation. Happy is the person who keeps God's law. So back to Psalm 119. Blessed are you, God. Teach me your statutes. This is beautiful. With the lips, with my lips, I have told all the ordinances of your mouth. So what God says is what I say. Isn't that great? Yeah, but what about this issue? Well, what does God say about that issue? My mouth, Jesus said, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. I have treasured your word in my heart, so when they say this, I say, no, that's not true. That's not true. I don't care how you feel. I don't care how much society has changed. I don't even care what the law says if it contradicts the law of God. This is true. And my mouth will speak, will tell of the ordinances of your mouth, Lord, and this isn't drudgery and just obedience out of, oh, this is horrible, but he won't punish me. Look at verse 14. I have rejoiced. It's joyful obedience. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimony. Listen, friend, if, you're, if, if you don't already resonate with that because of your experience, then if you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit after we're finished here and you embark on a new path, then you will taste it. It will become real to you. And then when it does, you'll be able to say this, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies because I'm happy when I do it your way. As much as in all riches, it's better than winning the lottery. I will, a couple more concepts. I will meditate on your precepts. What does meditation mean? 
Well, it means sitting in the lotus position with your fingers like this and, and saying one monosyllabic mantra over and over and over again, right? Emptying your mind. Do you know what? That, that's transcendental meditation. What that is like is driving up to Quick Trip, pulling up next to the gas pump, and then sitting there in park, idling, until your gas tank is empty. That's transcendental meditation. Biblical meditation is doing what you're supposed to do when you drive up to Quick Trip and you're empty. And you shut the car off and you open up and you tap into the source and you fill up. That's biblical meditation. It's thinking about mulling over. Application. Think, sitting there going, that's why it takes longer than 20 minutes to do it. If you want to do it well. Make time to sit there and, and be ready to stop as soon as the Holy Spirit says, wait a minute, let's think about that a second. Okay, what's that going to look like today when I go to work? What's that going to look like when I have that conversation with this person today? What's that going to look like? How do I do that? How do I live it? How do I walk in it? That's biblical meditation. And then the Holy Spirit shows you. Then the next step is, is crucial. It isn't, that isn't enough. Reading it isn't enough. Meditating on it isn't enough. What's God's love language? He, he likes all the love languages. But what's his big love language? What do you think it is? It's not works of service. Uh, that, that's, that's getting close. But he, he likes them all. He likes words of affirmation, praise you. He likes them all. But his real love language is obedience. How do I know that? Look up above. Jesus said it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Look at this verse above Romans 12:2. You know it, but just look at some of this. Do not be conformed to the world. The word conformed means pushed into like a like a Christmas cookie. You got your stars and your trees and your Santa Clauses and all that. Don't let the world shape your thinking. This is this and I we've talked about the argumentation that's going on now, the subtle argumentation that, well, wait a minute, that was true then. That was 2,000 years ago. Okay, it's good. It's, it's interesting information and stuff, and that was good for the Apostle Paul. Yeah, but not today. That doesn't apply to marriage today. That doesn't apply to church government today. Don't let the pressures, no matter how educated or how good-looking the person is that's given you that information, do not allow that pressure that's coming upon you to, to push you into a shape, a mold of the world. Don't let that happen. Don't be conformed to the world, but be. What's the Greek word behind transform? Anybody know? Metamorphosis. Meta, change, morphe, form, change form. Be changed. Be the butterfly that comes out of the cocoon. Was a caterpillar. That's what this word means. You and I as Christians are supposed to be not conformed to the world, but be metamorphosized. How? How? He tells us. How? 
by the renewing of your mind. And this is how, what we're talking about this morning, by the word of God creating new neural pathways in our brains, another path. We'll come to that in just a moment. Renewing your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Your mind has to be renewed. That's where the battleground is. That's where Satan's playground is. That's where the work has to be done. It has to begin. And then you have to practice it throughout the day as God gives you opportunity so that it becomes a pattern of behavior flowing from a pattern of thinking. Okay? All right, I want to share a testimony with you from, it's Tom's testimony. Can I, I'm going to share the text. He already gave me permission. So Tom wrote this, because my midweek meditation on Facebook Live was, was preparing people for this. Just get your heart ready to receive the word of God. And Tom wrote, great midweek message. Thank you. This year will mark 12 years out of the past 13 that I have read my Bible all the way through. And I might want to add that he listened to me preach for about 10 years before he started doing it, right? So when I'm nagging and playing commercials and blah, 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 giving you a candle every single, the same gift every year, it's for this reason. All of a sudden, you'll do it. I just want to be that. I want to be one of the voices in your life saying, you've got to do it. So Tom said, this year, Mark, 12 out of 13, that I've read my Bible all the way through following the calendar you give us. 2009 was the first year, the year I was hit. He's, the year that he was in his really bad accident and he was in his home, um, didn't have a lot of options. So he had to make a choice. Am I going to play video games all day or watch something? Or am I going to read my Bible? And God didn't utterly forsake him, but he put him where he wanted him to be. So he'd start doing this, and he did. He said, so that was the first year, the year I was hit. The next year, I only made it till March or April. That's okay. But then the next 11, he went straight through. It is a true blessing to me. It has become habitual for me. If I miss a day here and there, which I do, amen, but I always catch up. Just a practical thing. If you get behind, don't be so over. Or even before you say, oh, well, I'll just scratch that and take pastor's amnesty and move on. Here's what I recommend. Read two days in one day. And do that for a couple of weeks and you're all caught up again. You know, eat an elephant one bite at a time. But catch up if you're able. If I miss a date, which I do, but I always catch up. But, but his point is, when I miss a day here and there, my day isn't right. I have learned so, this is key, I have learned so much about the Lord. Because you're seeking Him. About life, yeah, how does this apply? And about myself. And I see Tom's growth because of this. And he's, he'll admit he's not perfect. But this is the process of happiness. Amen? Yeah. And he said, thanks for everything, and I take that to mean this calendar, too. So there's, they're on the back table. If you don't have one, grab one. And I don't want you to be convicted. No, I do want you to be convicted, absolutely I do. 
I do not want you to be condemned. I don't want you to think you can't love God or serve God without following this calendar's program. If you have another one that's better, then do that. But whatever it is that you choose to do, what I think God is calling us to do today is to consider the year to come. Now, I've never done this before. It's very short, so bear with me. I've never read a secular poem, I don't think, before from the pulpit. And, and this, I don't think Robert Frost was a Christian. It's not Christian per se, but it's really thought-provoking anyway. It's a beautiful poem. When I was a, in high school, I, I memorized it and delivered it at a, one of the speech contests, state speech contests, and it's just a great poem. But just listen. It'll transition into my final point. The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. He said, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair And having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. He just made a choice. And both that morning, both paths, both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And I submit to you as a Christian and as a pastor that you're standing today and two roads have diverged in a wood. And you're going to have to make a choice. God's given it to you. I've given you a program. You have to make a choice between, first of all, if you're here today and you've never made the choice to enter by the narrow gate, If there's somebody in here who has never made that choice to enter by the narrow gate, which is as wide as the wingspan of Jesus, it's no wider and it is no more narrow. If you have never followed Christ, if you have never received Christ, if you've never believed in Him and received Him as your Lord and your Savior and opened up your heart and received His Holy Spirit, if you have not done that, now's the day to do that. Jesus' arms are wide open. Jesus is saying, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and tired of trying to do it on your own and tired of following a way that you want to be true but isn't. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and then you will find rest for your soul. You will be happy. So that's the first road you have to choose. But even in, so you got that? But even in that road, the rest of you who are Christians, who have the Holy Spirit living in you, you're still, you've got to make a choice as this new year begins. 
There are two roads before you. There's a, for some of you, there's a path of least resistance that you have followed. Or a path of less resistance. It just, you haven't been able, and I, I sympathize with you. It is hard to change patterns of thinking and behavior. But you just have not been able to do it, to read the Bible every day, to be in God's word in a meaningful way, regularly. You've not been able to take the challenge and reorganize your schedule in such a way that you can follow this calendar. I want you to be moving toward that. Take a step today to move toward that. Do something to change. Because the patterns are so hard to change. And just so take some step, some sustainable step with God's help that this year you're going to engage in God's word in a, in a more meaningful way so that it can be treasured in your heart and then it can come out of your mouth and out of your actions in such a way that you will be experiencing that metamorphosis of the Holy Spirit in your mind. So finally, what is the goal of this morning's sermon? Well, obviously, you read your Bible every day. No. The goal of the sermon is for you to know God, to know Him more intimately, to seek Him with all your heart. And one of the tools that God has given us to do that is this, which is this. So will you bow your head with me, please? This Bible reading calendar is one means to the end of knowing God and experiencing God more fully and being happy. Let's pray.